Do you want to talk about how you're feeling right now? Oh, so many questions. What does this mean? What do I do? <laughs> Go on! Tell them what you think! I liked it. I think your calculations may have been off. I think it's all right. I just have a lot of feelings. This pleases me. These are perfectly normal feelings. Do you even know what you sound like when you talk like that? Now, shall we begin? <laughs> yeah, go on. Play harmonica. Play so you can't bullshit. Only watch those false notes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Real Feels Podcast. Hey, it's Cowpoke Drew here. And Nathanica. And this is Cheyenne Jack. <laughs> <laughs> we did not rehearse that one bit. That was, no, no, yeah, no. That was fun. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are the Real Feels Podcast. We come to you every other Wednesday with a brand new movie of a different genre every single time. And tonight, tonight we are bringing you... It's a spicy meatball. Huh? <laughs> it's our spaghetti western episode brought to you by host Jack. It's the number one Bilbo grab baggins. <laughs> You'll find this quite cool. You'll find this quite cool. And the uh, drink of choice tonight is the uh, miso honey beer. This uh, is it's a Belchin beaver. It's delicious. It's both an angry <laughs> and alluring beaver on a can. I like it. It's a... It's a fun little uh, cartoon character. Sure. Jug. Jug. <laughs> I like my water fresh. Get it from the well. <laughs> so um, I had many choices. Uh, so it was a, a little bit of a niche, niche, niche. Uh, subgenre spaghetti western. I got about 13 movies, eight of which were available for me to actually either rent or stream. The other ones I would have to buy. You went to town on this. Yeah, Jack was the kid in school that was like, oh, I'm going to do a state report. I'm going to master <laughs> I'm this gonna report. I'm going to go to the state. I'm going to meet the <laughs> senator. When is it due? You have three months. I'm starting now. <laughs> so I was the kid that read, like, don't read past chapter four. I'm like, I'm on chapter 10 already. I don't know what the hell you guys are doing. <laughs> I'm reading the sequel. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there was no sequel. I wrote, I wrote it. it. <laughs> Fan fiction. So after watching several of them, it was, uh, it was obvious that I had to do one of Sergio Leone's uh, movies. And... I think if there wasn't a Once Upon the Time in the West, I was going to go with, for a few dollars more, the sequel to Fistful of Dollars. Mm. Uh, I wasn't going to do Fistful of Dollars because that's just a ripoff of Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo. So much so much to the point that Akira Kurosawa sued Sergio Leone and actually won the rights uh, a percentage of the international release because that's how much of a ripoff it was. That's outstanding. Plus, in Ouch. that movie, you've got the... Uh, the boilerplate hidden under the poncho, which I know that this took place many years before Back to the Future 3, <laughs> but that's all I could get out of it was Back to the Future 3, like Marty McFly in his ridiculous cowboy outfit. I thought we could settle this like men. You thought wrong, dude. Ten uh, shots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and then good, what you got. the good and the bad and the ugly, I, I just thought was too 
tongue in cheek too cliche and yeah. there was like the weird civil war aspect to it which mm. you know how much of the civil war actually took place in the american southwest not a whole lot not enough to to carry the plot of that um so i had to go with once upon a time in the west which i feel and nathan may disagree <laughs> i don't know yeah i don't know i well, feel that it's it's just this director's love letter to the western genre itself. I would agree. I would agree with that, hands down. Now, some would say love letter. <laughs> Others would say, because it does, like you said, it, it's a love letter in sorts where it, it takes um, a little bit of this and it puts a little bit more cilantro or a little bit more uh, uh, basil, coffee. Uh, some coffee. But at the same time, the fact that they use the like most, I probably you know most iconic scene of that beginning, and it's a homage, I guess, to High Noon. Yeah, one would say, "Hmm, that a Vanilla Ice, that homage." Ice, ice, baby. All right, stop. Collaborate and listen. listen. Sounds a lot like a ripoff. So there was a little bit of sampling, I would say. <laughs> and if and if not, not previous not, work, not not banging it in your face like. Right, equilibrium. I mean, okay, <laughs> but but that that opening that opening scene could have been much worse because originally the director wanted Clint Eastwood, Lee Van Cleef, and Eli Wallach to be the three gunmen mm-hmm. that were going to be waiting for uh, Harmonica when he gets off the train, but uh, Clint Eastwood uh, had sort of separated from. Uh, Sergio Leone at that point didn't really want to be associated and typecast as like the spaghetti western guy. Yeah, because he wanted to go on and film Grand Trino one day. That that was his goal. Get on. Get off my lawn. Listen, old man, you don't want to fuck with me. Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn now. Are you fucking crazy? Go back in the house. Yeah. I blow a hole in your face and then I go in the house and I sleep like a baby. You can count on that. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> but uh, the director the fine did, did get a lot him. of the actors that he'd always <laughs> he wanted to, to work with. He um, did? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, he'd, he'd originally offered the the lone gunman, the lone stranger, to um, Harmonica. Mm. Um, but he had turned it down. Uh, and he always wanted to work with, uh, uh, was it Ford? Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda, yeah, Ford. Henry Ford. <laughs> uh, he always wanted to work with Henry Fonda, and that was that was like a, a get for him. He didn't even want to do westerns anymore. He wanted to make Once Upon a Time in America, this this nineteen thirties prohibition crime drama. And they're like, no, like you can come and do some stuff in America for us, but you're gonna have to do a western for us first. Yeah. So I think before we get uh, into it anymore, a trailer, a trailer, a trailer. A trailer. more and the good 
the bad and the ugly. Starring Claudia Cardinale, Henry Fonda, Charles Bronson, and Jason Robards. A manhunt. A vendetta. All right, guys, so if you haven't already come across what we are talking about, it is 1968's Once Upon a Time in Mexico, directed by Sergio Leone, mm-hmm. with the beautiful music and soundtrack composed by Ennio Morricone. Now, don't worry. If you think, oh, man, I wish I could get a little bit more of that harmonica playing <laughs> that I heard in the trailer. Oh, don't worry. You get batted over the head with it about four million times in this movie. This is very true. This is very it's true. It's his calling card. Each, each of the central four characters has their own theme. They have their own like, theme song. Like Star Wars. Harmonica has got his. Claudia has, or Jill McBain has hers. Frank has his. Yep. And Cheyenne has his as well. relationships start developing together they get intertwined and it just becomes this beautiful composition it's it's great but the harmonica part just killed like for me the sound okay i would i would agree yeah. with, i mean okay especially one. when his cheeks aren't even puffing oh out okay. yeah, or um, they're playing. <laughs> when you okay when you hear the harmonica you know that harmonica is there or it's something that's directly involving him or he's somewhere playing it that's fine the sound of the harmonica is the fakest noise in the entire movie. Because regardless of where he is, whether he's far off in the back of the room, right in front of you, or outside of a house beyond a closed window in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh god. It sounds like you are <laughs> It sounds like you are right next to the harmonica 
every single time. And it, it's true. It's very evident that he's not playing it. So that kind of, I don't know, it, it makes, it, it, it's a disconnect. The movie has its faults. It's got some pacing issues. I, uh, I it, It's got there. some sound issues. But would you it also? Is, it's oh. it's crafted and shot in such a beautiful way. There's no, there's never a wasted shot. There's never a wasted space. So when Claudia, uh, or sorry, Jill McBain gets off the train and she realizes that nobody is there to meet her to go uh, be introduced to her new husband's family. She knows at the train up. station. She's walking around looking for you know somebody who somebody knows to help her. her, and they. They pan over this. This the, shot is gorgeous. They pan over the station and One they show flagstone. Shot. One single shot, and it's it's absolutely gorgeous. And flagstone building that city was more money was used to build that city than the entire budget for a fistful of dollars. Right. And that because level they didn't of leave sort one of one stone unturned. It that, is a full fleshed out. The city. level of craftsmanship in this, is, like the the train, yeah, the the ornate decoration inside the train, like this lush sort of Mr. oasis Ch- in the Choo desert that is all gilded with its crystal chandeliers and its its woodwork. I was looking at the train on the inside, and I was all like, that probably costs more than. I mean, at the time, it definitely mm-hmm. probably cost more than half of what the people in Flagstone make in a year. Right. Easily. And it was shot using a method called CinemaScope. And mm. CinemaScope was sort of early Panavision. Uh, so you've got widescreen shooting, but it's using a special lens that is basically doing over 50 degrees and condensing it down into 35 millimeters. And then you need a special lens to sort of unbuffer that for the screen when it's when it's played. So it's, it's shot very widescreen, and you have to have a lot of set... To eat up that scenery and and actors I think, and, and actors and Whoa, I, so many extras and they're all like uh, very all few of them, something very few of them were kind of like just half-assing it and playing grab ass like i was like hey hey <laughs> i see you not swinging really the shovel i right. you know, like in braveheart you can sometimes pick out some of the guys that are like just hey jim <laughs> after the after this you know set scene you know is done yeah, what do you say we, let's go yeah, let's go get chipotle and then uh <laughs> no i mean some of them yeah they are going to town they're really really working but they're also, really building the railroad <laughs> you watch them like some of them digging the dirt on the side of the hills and i'm like what are you digging where are you digging to? Yeah. And where is the dirt the, going? But I'm like, yes, but you're rail, looking busy. Railroads you're kind of already busy. done there, bud. <laughs> so $5 million budget for the film. And according to... Like Eat that, fig- Tremors, too. A figure... <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired, Tremors! Shots fired! <laughs> Something's getting coming! <laughs> From a figure that I found that was uh, reported in 1984, the U.S. gross at that time was just $5.5 million. So... Not successful in the U.S., all right? However, way over in Europe, it played for two years straight. Yeah, in That's Paris. ridiculous. And, and the dusters that Cheyenne's gang were famous for was like a high fashion item. There is a, a, a popular... The with bullets or without? There was a popular... Today we have ripped jeans. Yeah. I mean, there was a popular department store in, in Paris that had warnings that like if you're wearing a duster on the escalator, like watch watch your tail. <laughs> wow. it, might got, it might get caught. Yeah, so, so I mean... It. But again, that was the European release, which was the one that we watched, which yeah. was about two, two, two hours, 45 minutes or so. Yeah. Uh, they cut 
a half hour of that out or 25 minutes or so for the American release. Good for them. And it sort of bombed. You son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And listen, I don't hate this film. No, no, no. Go ahead. And I don't (laughs) dislike it. I just... I'm not hearing a compliment there. (laughs) It's kind of like when you're... You're kind of Jill. You're waiting for someone and you're like, wait, no one's coming? Oh, okay. I guess I have to go figure it out. And so that's kind of how I felt in the beginning of this film where... I the mean, very beginning? Uh, all like of, the, like, I mean, the first, like... You mean the train station? The first probably, like, hour, I'm going, wait, who the hell is that guy? Wait, okay, what was but his that's name? The thing. You do not have a word of dialogue. Which is not until... always a great thing. Okay, no, no, well, no. Well, he... So... You don't have a word of dialogue until he harmonica gets off the train. He doesn't spoon feed anything to you. True. And in normal Westerns, they do. I mean, yeah. John Wayne comes in and, like, he's like, hey, I, son. I and then... And then the kid's like, oh, Pa, so-and-so is looking for you in town, and this town's name is blah, 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 and gives the whole quest, and then John Wayne, you <laughs> but know. But I like, think that's lazy storytelling. Now, this is the other end of it. Yeah, this yes, is not this is, doing yes. the, the audience any favors. No. I had to rewatch it after the first time I saw it just to be like, okay, who are those guys? Okay, what was what? how did that actually go down? But I was okay with that. Right. I, I did not mind the fact of, like, them sitting around waiting at the train station because one, the train was late. All right, the train was already late. You don't have a word of dialogue until shot until a harmonica gets off the train. Actual like any words you do have the one goon the who's station like, no yeah fine sorry the station guys first <laughs> bit of dialogue seven dollars seven okay so right the, the sure. first actual bit of dialogue for a character that matters is ouch i think he meant <laughs> is, <laughs> he is harmonica getting off the train saying like and frank but yeah the the station guy did say like you know uh you know that'll be seven dollars which i actually looked it up and they don't give an exact year for the film but they did say that it was the winding down towards the end of the Old West. So I, I kind of took some liberties, and I was just saying, like, cool, 1892, all right? And I did some numbers. $7 for three tickets was about $210. So you're making fun of me for doing research. You're doing conversion scales over there on, on the, uh, on the train research. tickets. I kind of did. I always do research. I'm the kid in the back of the class that's smoking like the, the cigarette that he found on the ground and like, <laughs> and they're like, are you smoking in class? And I'm like, maybe, maybe not. Like, <laughs> why don't you turn around? <laughs> Stupid class. I don't need English. But, but and then I'm working at McDonald's, and then you're taken outside, and you're all like, "Please don't tell my mom." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but there's Can little I... little details sprinkled throughout that opening scene. So like, oh yeah, they smeared the one guy's face with, with jam. jam. I can't and then let like, flies the... out of a bottle just so they could get the perfect the one shot fly. of the the fly crawling all over his face. I kept like, wondering, like, how is the fly staying on his face? Like, I don't know any fly that's gonna sit there while you're like. They found the the ones that love jelly, and they're like, "Oh hell no, dude! I'm not leaving." I'm like, yeah, no. But I mean, you also, it was a good shot because of it. He gets to like you know interact around with, with the fly, it. interact with the interact with the fly, catch it in the gun barrel. But then, like menacingly, you know, he's like a guy who enjoys violence, or at least tormenting people because he takes the fly and he shakes it up in the barrel and he can still hear that it's inside and he's like oh and when yeah. it right it's kind of like ah you're gonna mess with me are you okay all right okay and the uh the i wanted him to shoot his finger off and just to <laughs> spite just to spite the fly i was like come on so you got the guy underneath the water tower yeah okay drink strode 
Strode, okay. Whose he, wife was the uh, the Indian? The Indian who was actually a, a she was a, a Hawaiian, Hawaiian princess. princess. Strode's also in what Spartacus? Yeah, yeah. And I was I was very I was like oh I like and that the, I, I like Strode the the, uh, the, the bolt action Winchester that he had cut oh, down that is another reference to Steve McQueen's similar gun that he called a mare's leg. Yep. Um, who actually he shoots? Um, he shoots harmonica, harmonica with. It. That's the that's the one shot that gets on him. But I love when he's underneath the water tower and the single drip of water because he wanted to get out of the sun. He wanted to keep cool, and he realizes like, oh well, that's not going to do. So he puts on the hat, and I guess that was like an improv scene that he took it off eventually and drank the water mm-hmm. from the hat. But I love the fact that you're learning so much about the characters despite the fact that it's taking a while. It's quiet. No one's doing dialogue. Well, it's building the tension. Like, like who are something they, who are they is they going for? to happen. Are these the big bad guys? And then you find out, nope, they're just lackeys. They're just chaff. Yep. And, and that, again, I love the scene. But knowing that it was kind of pulled from another movie... You would do the same. Which movie would, was it? Which movie? High was noon. It? Okay. <laughs> but you would do the same thing if you were like, oh, Equilibrium. You pull this scene pretty much straight out of the Matrix. Okay, but I mean, here's the, but, but this the is, only thing that they this took is away two different wrong. versions of it. This is two different it's versions two of it. Different versions. Oh, equilibrium is like is like two for five dollar quarter pounders with cheese. And then this movie is doing something similar, but this is like the chef created with like a mixture of beef and pork and short rib. And like, it's two different cheeseburgers that are getting to vastly different endpoints. You got your cheap cheeseburger that you can get on any corner. Equilibrium costs way more than this. I'm no, just kidding. <laughs> go ahead. Or. <laughs> they had CGI. Yeah, but I mean. Yeah, but they had. It's. it's no wires. <laughs> this is a movie, yes, but it's also like this. You can tell the director is pouring his heart out into selecting the costumes, selecting the shots, selecting the actors. Can I? Everything is very deliberate about this movie. Agreed. Can I say that this movie is ahead of its time? Oh, like very much this, so. th- and that is the compliment that I give it is that it's not. I feel like it was this was kind of remade today in the very very. If it, this never existed mm-hmm. and was made today with that kind of style, I think that it would find a home so like so strongly in our culture today that that yearns for that kind of like wait who's that what's going on I don't know but like I don't want to sound dumb by asking questions so great and, well I mean and enjoy like no, it's a, and they would enjoy it and it influenced great. a lot of modern directors Tarantino like right. he like and John if you Carpenter. watch if you watch uh, Hateful Eight like he like especially after watching all of Sergio Leone's spaghetti westerns like you can see the influence especially in the music because he even dusted off oh, yeah. Ennio Morricone. Uh, for the Hateful Eight soundtrack, but you can see a lot of those techniques that he used. They they shot that on film, not using Cinemascope, but it was still Panavision. Right, and a lot of things that were films that were not well-received at the time are more accepted later on. I mean, you have Citizen Kane, which was hated at the time, and it wasn't even well-respected until later. I mean, as we've already discussed, like it wasn't well-received in the United States. It only made $5.5 million, only half a million dollars more than the actual budget itself. And then it had to be famed in Europe, and then decades later, to be deemed one of the top 10 Westerns of all time, if not the top Western of all time, and in the top 50 films of all time. And you have this amazing scene in the beginning 
though it is homage to High Noon, it, it builds everything. It builds the tension. Like, who are they? What are they waiting for? Anything like that. The costuming, the, the natural sound of the windmill that... And they've got the dusters on, which comes into to play later. But let's talk a little bit about the cast. So it's not Henry Fonda, it's not Charles Bronson, it's not Jason Robards who gets the first credit. It's it's Claudia Cardinale, because this the story revolves around her. And then you get, I think the best part of the movie is Jason Robards as Cheyenne. Oh, hands down, Cheyenne is the better of the characters. If He's the Gimli of of this cast. <laughs> I, I I could I could have gone for a movie that was just About Cheyenne. Him. No joke. Like you want to know where was he? How did you get in jail? Obviously, you were broken out and you know uh, relieved of your uh, of your escort to the prison. And you have to know, like you know, when he says, you know, oh, I saw three men with dusters, and he's all like, that's a nice story, harmonica. Like, but there's two things wrong with that. Nobody would dare wear these dusters. And my men and, don't and die. And men don't die. <laughs> uh, Charles Bronson, I like him as sort of the the silent gunman, mm-hmm. even though he's constantly playing an annoying song that you you very much hate. <laughs> yeah, he's nothing but silent. It's, it's like, all his even, body language. Even Sergio Leone said that uh, Clint Eastwood had two uh, emotions, hat on and hat off. Yeah, I can see and that. And you do get a lot more out of Charles Bronson in this. And then Henry Fonda, it's just interesting to see the traditional good guy be this, like, scum bucket son of a bitch. And so there's a lot of stuff that I looked up about um, about villains. And I was like, whoa, Fonda ranks in, like, the top five of, like, best villains of all time. And I was like, you know what? Because of this film. Well, yeah. And literally, this is the only film that he did with, that he was a villain. And I'm like, this is this is amazing. This is really good because he plays because, such a, like, and, uh, are you? I mean, up, and up until then, he had always been the good guy. I mean, and one of his, like, biggest claim to fame because he was, he was a man of the people. He was fighting for what was right. If you watch The Grapes of Wrath, he is Tom Jode. And, I mean, this is why he was a, I believe he won an Academy Award. And I think it was, I think it was, uh, Tom he Joden. won a couple of them. Henry Fonda did. Yeah, not Henry for Fonda. this though. No, no, no. As Tom Joden, Grapes of Wrath, and then um, Mama, the the woman who played the mother in Grapes of Wrath, also won an Academy Award. But that's what Henry Fonda was. Like he was a man of the people. He was. This, he was on Golden Pond. On Golden Pond, he was this fantastic yep. <laughs> man who everybody loved, and this is why Sergio Leone wanted him to play the villain because he wanted that camera to pan around after the family had been shot at the farmstead and to have those piercing blue eyes and have people go, holy shit, it's Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda's the villain. And that's how he got him on board. Yep. Because he originally turned down the movie. Henry Fonda turned down, and and Sergio Leone flew to America, met and had dinner with Henry Fonda, and Henry Fonda's like, why should I be in this? And exactly as you described, that's the hook that got him, and he could finally play something Different. That was so different. And then when he And he does play it well. So, like you hate him so much. You you hate him because he's not he's the, not like lines. an over the top, like, you know, twirling the mustache, evil villain. Like he's not grotesque. He's not vile in certain calm. ways. He he's knows calm. his limitations. Like he knows he's not as smart as everybody no, else. That's but he does know that he is probably more brutal than the rest of oh, them. Oh right. You know, you know, it's easy to kill five, but when you've already killed four. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I, I just lo- I love that scene where where they they mow down the family outside the farmstead, and uh, then now the little, that you've said my name, and, oh, then the kid comes out and he's all like, "What are we gonna do now, Frank?" 
He's like, well, now that you said my name, the kid obviously has to die. Mm. I mean, I was going to, I mean, I think he was going to shoot him anyways. Probably. <laughs> Probably so. So why was he going to shoot him? We've got uh, Brett McBain uh, scratching out his existence in the middle of the desert because Brett McBain is actually a smart man and he knows that the railroad is a coming and uh, the only water, out in uh, Sweetwater. That, that is within 50 miles of, Sweetwater. Sweet, uh, f- of Flagstone is Sweetwater. Yeah. And uh, the, the hook is that uh, he buys the land and he can put a station there, but mm-hmm. the station has to be built. There's By the, the time that clause. the railroad gets there. Very fine Very print. fine clause, because if he does not have that uh, station, the town, the station, I think the station is the key point. If he does not have the station set up, mm-hmm. by the time the railroad gets there, then his family and all of his heirs do not get the profit. And I guess it goes to the railroad company, or the bank probably takes it back. Which the bank Well, I, I think it's probably the railroad company, or else you wouldn't have... Oh, because they're laying claim to the land anyways. Yeah. Yeah, so they would have like... I just didn't... Okay, so uh, we're jumping way ahead, though, with that we, knowledge. I mean... We can jump around. Because, we can jump around. Because it doesn't, it doesn't really, like... <laughs> oh, no! Harmonica's here! It doesn't really give you that information right off the bat, which... They don't spoon-feed you, oh. Nathan. They don't spoon-feed you. They don't They don't put it into a blender and, and, and freaking blend it up and then, then literally, just spoon-feed you like a baby. It's on a plate... Across the the restaurant, and I'm like, oh, I have to get up and go get my food. What? Son of a bitch. Okay, <laughs> I'll go. Where's the waiter? I've been waiting. For the 10 bread's minutes. not for free. We're leaving. <laughs> Olive Garden gives free bread sticks. <laughs> but it's Garden. Olive Garden. <laughs> Olive Garden now has bread, sk- bread sticks bouquets. <laughs> Breadstins. Shut up. <laughs> okay, but you're right. You're right. We don't get the information right off the bat. We have a dead family out of this farmstead, which. Again, you're, the transitions between the scenes are so abrupt, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what's happening. Because from the train station, you have Bronson getting shot in the arm, all right, and falling down, and then him getting up. And then suddenly it shows the end of a shotgun shooting some, like, pheasant or quail. And I'm thinking, like, is this a flashback? What's going on? And then you know that it's it's uh, McBain and his son, which is an allusion to Shane. Mm-hmm. Okay, when the, the little boy's coming in uh, and he's, you know, trying to, like, pretend shoot the deer. and Well, the whole mowing down of the family is, it was sort of the director's way of, of having a metaphor for innocence, getting oh, right. getting trundled upon uh, under the boots of, of progress and, and big business. Right, shooting, shooting the kids, shooting the father. They're setting up for this big party, which, I, again, you're, you're left with no information about what's happening there. You just know they're setting up oh, all that food. wasted food. All that wasted food. All that wasted food. They're setting up food. Someday you won't have they to have work to... again, and you can cut the bread as big as doors. <laughs> <laughs> but but for the five minutes that Brett McBain is in it, like the scene where he's getting the the water from the well, and the crickets stop for like the third time, and you hear the single gunshot, and he looks back and he sees and his daughter. His daughter claps, and he's just like Maureen. Like it's. It's pretty genuine stuff. Like, I was, I'm hooked in at this point. I want to know what the hell is going on. And that's, I think, what keeps me defending this movie to my last breath is they don't make it easy for you 
to figure out what's going on at the time. No, you, you have gotta, to pay attention. You, you can't watch attention. this movie while tweeting or your your Facebookings or whatever. Um, you have to pay attention to it or else you're going to miss a line that is going to open up why the hell this is happening. Um, That kid, when he shoots the bird with his imaginary gun. What the hell gun? (laughs) (laughs) It's like seven. Leave him alone. (laughs) No, no, no. I I shot laser guns as a kid. I shot Gatling guns, machine guns, you name it. But no gun has ever made a bing, 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 a bing. What? Okay, first off, the kid lives out in the middle of nowhere. You play that clip for the people. (laughs) Demi. Boom. That's the clip. That's the gun for you. Okay. The kid lives out in the middle of nowhere. With he's his got dad, nothing. he has to entertain himself. I mean, he's di- okay. First off, he's dying for his dad's it's like attention. Like an anti-aircraft gun for for, for quail. <laughs> or he's dying for his dad's attention because the dad's like, you know, calculating like where the quail's gonna come, and the kids all like, "Dad, look, look, looky here!" And he doesn't look over at him. We got we got to kill another cocky. quail, son, because my former prostitute of a wife is coming on the train. <laughs> You're gonna go pick her up. Pick up your mother. Our mother died six years ago. You pick her up, and then I pick her up. You get what I'm saying? You get what I'm That's saying? That's the only person that you don't see actually... Okay, you never you never see the littlest uh, son get taken out, but you hear it. Well, you see his when dead did, body. When did they pick? When did they take out the older kid? I mean, obviously, maybe one he of them. Well, he was already wagon? getting ready to, to take the wagon into town. No, I know. But, I mean, you, you see it. You see it. Oh, yeah. yeah that's Do it. you see it? Oh, did I completely mm-hmm. miss that? You're yeah, probably yeah. looking at your phone. No. For a split second. Mm-hmm. You missed it, Drew. You were probably you were probably tweeting out like so. Boom! They all die. Jill shows up into town, and she's that's where you start getting a little bit more information, but not enough because then she's rifling through the the building, the house, and you're thinking, wait a minute, what is is she going mad? What is this bitch looking? Jug. (laughs) (laughs) Jug. I like my water fresh. (laughs) Okay, hold on, hold on. Let's let's cut back because to, in order to get her there, Cheyenne? speaking of jug, we got to discuss a bar scene. Oh my gosh! Oh, this is you don't Jim. like the bar scene. <laughs> I don't like the bar New scene. Orleans. Sweet water. <laughs> New York City water. Only a dumb red Hennish Irishman would call it sweet water. <laughs> I love. Okay, I love the bartender because he has that fantastic look about him and that voice where he's like water. That's that word's poison around here. I can see your lady used to fine <laughs> living. Like, We've got a bath in the back. Only, only three, three people, people have used, used it today. this morning. <laughs> I, wow. I like the uh, the uh, the, sta- the, uh, the carriage driver where she's all like, "Why are we stopping?" He's like, "I told you I was in a hurry," and he just replies, "Trains stop, don't they?" <laughs> I like that line. That's yeah. A, that's a, it's. I mean, just for her to say. I mean, him to reply to her saying like. I need to stop and have a drink. Well, they walk into uh starting to get the shakes on the reins. <laughs> they walk into the Moss Eisley Cantina. No, it's quiet in there. No, no, like the, when she walks in, everyone's like, mm-hmm. and they're like feeding the horses and the stable hands are like, <laughs> even the horses. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. But, uh, 
this scene is important because you establish the meeting between Cheyenne and Harmonica and Jill McBain for the first time. Um, you actually have it's the introduction of Har- of Cheyenne. Yeah, yeah. It you, you get he's an outlaw. He's otherwise, wearing shackles. Right. Otherwise, the first intro introduction that you would have of Cheyenne is him knocking on the door, going, "Did you make coffee?" I love that scene. You shut that. I know. I like that scene. <laughs> <laughs> but him meeting Harmonica. Yeah, and then. I want to know exactly, like, what what is his issue? Because, first off, he's very calm during the scene. He just walks in, gets the jug, drinks the jug, and then all you hear is the jug. And immediately he's all like, who the fuck is playing a harmonica? They're gonna die. I don't know. Cheyenne is sort of like a western Han Solo. In a, in a little mm. bit of a way, like he's a he's hence the most Isley. He <laughs> this whole thing is starting out. No, well, <laughs> yeah, but he he's he's a he's a scoundrel, but he is a good guy. Slaughtered family in the desert. Mm-hmm. Boom. Uh, but he's not Luke. <laughs> Henry Fonda is kind of Luke Skywalker. I, I, I uh, Darth Vader. <laughs> boom. Or I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Well, would, would would Morton be the emperor then? <laughs> He's like hobbling around on his yes! crutches. He's old and crippled and just like just barely Actually, I mean, by. Morton, he does have a he does have a completely different type of power than what Vader has. Vader's instilling fear. Morton is using political power. So Morton More is More of a Moff Tarkin, boom, maybe. Boom, okay, boom. maybe. Morton is using money. And that's what that's the biggest thing that he explains to Frank throughout the film. He's all like, You're never gonna be me. You're never going to be as powerful as me. I'm taking an awful risk, Frank. This had better work. <laughs> no, sorry. Are we just going to start quoting Star Wars of uh, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in the West? Yes. but he... Sweet water cantina. <laughs> You'll never find a more wretched hive of Cheyennes and villainy. <laughs> but we Play do, that same song. <laughs> we do have Harmonica meeting Cheyenne for the first time. and he. I love that he grabs the lantern and like flings it at him. And that... You know, back and forth balance of light. Yeah, but these are like two two silverback gorillas posturing. <laughs> like he's he's daring harmonica to take the bait, and, oh, and harmonica's like, "No, I'm here to kill somebody else. Right? It's not you. He's so like, I'm just going to sh- be a dick and play my harmonica. Right. Like, do you only play or do you shoot? This bullet was not meant for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, well like aren't you a little bit short for a bandit? <laughs> I like that the, the other guy who's just sitting there watching, he's going to reach for his gun. He's all like, you, you don't know how to play. You don't know how to play. <laughs> you can shoot. So then we move on to the McBain farm. Uh, she rolls in. Uh, family is dead. Her, her her husband of one month gone. This she must be she spends the night rifling around through yes, the house. Ma'am. Uh, the next day, Cheyenne comes. Great scene. Revealing that after she had seen the dead fam- the family. Because they, they find already, the duster. They had already they been married. They find the shred of the duster. They'd already been married a month before. Mm-hmm. And she, I love, I actually, again, more of the dialogue. That's really, really good. And for a. I traveled to New Orleans and married a whore. For a, what was it? For a four, 300, 400 page script, there's only 15 pages of dialogue. And so when the mourners are there, when she shows up and she's all like, oh, poor miss. And then, you know, Jill, Mrs. Kind of, Mrs. I'm sorry, Mrs. McBain. But we thought we were married a month ago. I mean, it's just, it's interesting because she immediately establishes herself. To right the there. keening score of Ennio Morricone. Yep. And so when they find out that a duster piece had been left. Well, because only Cheyenne's men wear them in these Only parts, Cheyenne men wear Would have the gall. 
They look so pretty it, awesome, but but it's it's Frank who uh, you find out later on in the movie he fabricates has evidence. a penchant for fabricating evidence. As, and as. so the posse goes after Cheyenne and his men, and he comes in the next day asking for coffee from Jill uh, McBain because after he's Harmonica, like kind of like spying. Yeah, that, on her that was an odd scene where like he's just like out he's in the darkness. Out in the dark. She fires a shot, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll just eat out to the uh, and she shot to the too. stable." She raised his cheek. Yeah. And but I mean that is a weird scene that he's just like they're watching her spying on her mm-hmm. because but at I, this point she doesn't have any correlation besides the dead family why they were killed no she has no idea why and she doesn't understand but I mean why. Harmonica doesn't have really any point to Harmonica be. He right knows. now is following the clues okay as to the point of when he intercepts wobbles. At the laundromat, essentially. Mm-hmm. And he beats him up and he even oh, says, Wobbles, wobbles I'm kind of mad at you. And he's like, Frank wasn't there at the station. And he's all like, I don't know anything. I just set up the meeting. And he's like, well, no, he wasn't there because he was off killing the McBain family. No, that was Cheyenne's men. There was evidence. So I think he's following the, the fake clues. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to no Cheyenne coming in the next day. And he is pissed off that oh, he's yeah. been chased through the desert all night because they're trying to hang this murder of four around him and his posses. Which he, I guess the men, these Next. these black crows that were following him, he he took their horses or he left them in the he desert. He left them in the desert, And he's yeah. like, they'll find their way back home in a week or something. <laughs> but it just keeps on uh, progressing. But again, you get a little bit more each scene as we go. And, and we go back to Frank on Morton's train and we sort of find out what, what Frank's deal is. Uh, that he's basically just been riding around with this train, you know, train baron, robber baron, and basically doing the wet work for them seizing land at gunpoint for a pittance off of people that uh, they come across. And he even said, he's like, what were you doing? What were you thinking? You were supposed to scare him. And Henry Fonda's line of like, people are scare easier when they're dying. And yeah. He's like, oh, man, that's God. That, I mean, that that is kind of devilish in a way for him to. Well, th- have such careless. Then when yeah. Harmonica finds her trying to leave in the stables and like he pushes her around and he That's rips, weird... he rips her dress open yeah. because when he trots her out to the well, he wants them to see that he roughed her up a little bit. Oh, okay. See, so that he's not a good guy. Again, and they're like, oh, well, maybe it's one of that. Cheyenne's. I was all like, what are you the doing? The more I watched the this movie, the more okay. I ended up loving it. You find these little details here and there. Okay. That I did not connect because that, that was like one of the weirdest... Like, what do you semi like? Let me, scenes? let me, yeah. Like, it's it's, it's so cringe. It's You're gonna like... hear a weird noise <laughs> when me... you do duck. What weird noise? <laughs> that noise. <laughs> and then Cheyenne's watching from up on top of the hill, and he's all like, "So he doesn't he, just play. He, he can. He shoot. can shoot too." The but that's cool that jump. Cheyenne was up there at the same time. Like Cheyenne was ready. To go oh, down to there, yeah. and uh, he's like, oh, well, she's she's good for now. Because I think at this point that Cheyenne has sort of taken a bit of a shine to old uh, the widow Jill well, she, McBain. She can uh, make coffee. Yeah. She can make coffee, and that's the whole scene where, like, he, they're making... Okay, so she's trying to make coffee. Um, she opens the drawer, and the knife is there. The knife is and there. he knows the knife is there, and well, he's he, just I sort of he like... he hears something. He's just waiting to see if she'll try to and attack he, and him. And he tells her, all like, you know, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not the, pe- the man that people make me out to be. But... You know, when they get me mad, it's not going to be good for them, especially women. And she says, you can throw me over this table and have your way with me. Even call your even men call your in. Men in. But all I need are. is a tub of boiling water and I'll be and I'll be the same as I was before 
with just a filthy memory. So that's just trying to show you how what an how emo like, lyric. Yeah, I've like heard one. like Gosh. she like she's not taking shit from anybody, and she's taken shit like this before. Uh, she knows how to sort of handle herself around these these tough men. Because I mean, even with the fact that like she has the or house be handled, and ooh, she's trying ooh, to start ooh, a new yeah, life, ooh. she still can't wash off like who she used to be. And so that's why I think the consistency of, you know, I just need a, a tub full of hot water. I need to I need to get clean. I need to, you know, be bathed in a let's, new water. Let's also be honest. She does not uh, hide much or, um, you know, her hair is always banging. Outfits. Well, she's just kind of banging. All she just, yeah, just straight up. Like, like, she is a stellar beauty. Gorgeous. And even when she Frank later on is pretty. like, hey, you know, if uh, one of those guys, you know, pats you on the behind. And, just act know. like it's No, nothing. that was Cheyenne. Yeah, yeah, Cheyenne. 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 They earned it. <laughs> just pretend like it. it didn't happen. <laughs> I'm like, how did they earn it? Just because they just, like, had the balls to do <laughs> it? Toiled in the sun for hours. One ass slap. <laughs> <laughs> At the end, too. Put in like, overtime. Get a pinch. When she's giving them all water and like they're all just like oh around. right at the end I was like oh, and she's coming this out is like weird. basically like a halter top and, she's like, and I'm like hey Why boys are you wearing this you're sexing it's like, so sexing hot out West. here she can wear what she wants <laughs> she's a strong independent <laughs> woman she don't need no man she's running a station now <laughs> <laughs> yeah harmonica. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh, he's back. Well, he's surprise, he's, surprise. he's tracking Frank. He he gets on the top of the train, uh, I, and he does learn some tidbits. Yeah. through there because he followed Waddles onto yeah. the train. But I think that's one of my favorite scenes is after he gets captured and Cheyenne shows up, mm, or when they they push Waddles off, and then they're in, and he's just like, shh, he's hiding under the train, and. Waddles is going to, like, get up and be like, under the train! They, they you know, shoot. Frank shoots him twice and then shoots his belt he off because belt uh, off. a man who wears suspenders and, and a, belt a belt can't even trust his own pants. How can I trust you? How can you trust a man that wears both a belt and suspenders? man can't even trust his own pants. I don't understand how he died from getting shot from the suspender, okay. suspender. So like, he's, he's shooting him like right about here. Wobbles he, didn't look like a healthy man. I'm sure the shock <laughs> just, just drove him. Drove where, him. He, where he shot him in the suspenders, okay, you could easily be hitting like part of like the upper lung. Bone fragments can go in and he's being shot twice. Thank you, Dr. Drew. And, and then he gets shot. And he almost got his dick shot off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> his wobble almost got wibbled. It was close. <laughs> winged 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 his wobble <laughs> would be wobble so and then cheyenne basically rescues um uh harmonica but that is one i think that is my favorite scene is just his the, antics the like goofy the tapping on the yeah. glass and then killing the guy the and then gun, the hand, letting the letting, the letting the boot dangle down to make the guy I think even at one point he puts his foot through and flushes the toilet Oh, because because the resistance will allow it to like pull him back up to get back exactly. Up on top of the train. It's, it's a great little it's a, scene. It's a funny scene. I don't think that's the the most fun they had in the movie. That was the most tongue in cheek. Which fistful He's, of dollars, few dollars more, uh, good, bad, and the ugly. That was a lot of tongue in cheek. But this was the only time that they really sort of let the it, let the. It's a fun character that Jason Robards like put together with Cheyenne. I mean, you have. 
other things that he did, you know, throughout his career with Something Wicked This Way Come, All the President's Men, Parenthood, and Magnolia. The first day of shooting, he actually showed up drunk. Drunk. And Sergio Leone said, like, if you do this again, I will fire you. And the only other time that he was allowed to get emotional and drink and they actually stopped filming for the day was when Robert JFK, Kennedy. Yeah, when no, JFK Robert was assassinated. No, that was 63 or 64. I thought it was JFK. No, it was, it was Bobby Kennedy because okay. it was made in 68. Oh, all right. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, but That's pretty I terrible. Mean, Jason. My, yeah. my academic kids are doing 60s. <laughs> yeah, but Jason Robards, I mean, he was in the Navy during World War II. Uh, his his original ship that he was assigned to was a heavy destroyer. Took two torpedoes and sunk. He treaded water for twelve hours before he was rescued. And then the other ship he was assigned to took a kamikaze hit direct, and like three hundred fifty people aboard died. Like after that, he goes into acting, and he was almost an egot. If he if he had a voice, he would have gotten the Grammy. But he got Tonys, two Tonys. He got an Emmy and he got an Oscar. Wow. Maybe, yeah. maybe more than one. He has a wow. great career and he has a great voice too. I think the takeaway for this movie is Jason Robards Cheyenne is like the oh. best goddamn part of this movie. It is. He is. He is the best character. Yeah. Hands down. He is the best character. He's like the misunderstood outlaw. He is the Han Solo. He's the Boom. Han Solo. Yeah. All right. But I almost like a more genuine Han Solo. Well, and. I mean, he even, when he tells Jill, like, you know, I'm not a good man, like, or like, I'm not the, you know, the I'm right, not, the, man I'm, that they I'm make... not the right guy, yeah. and neither is he, is just such a honest, like, hey, like, don't get hung up, mm-hmm. and don't worry, I'm, you know, I'm not the one either. But the moments of tenderness, like, when all the lumber gets delivered to the McBain farm, and they're all standing around, and Harmonica's hammering, like, the the foundation pikes in and, and reveals that they've got to build this, this station before the railroad gets there. He puts there. his men to work. And, and uh, <laughs> he puts his men to work and he's like, Oh, that'll be great. It'll, it'll be the first thing she sees when she, when she, when gets, she comes, when, when she, she gets, gets back. back. Like she, he's, he generally cares about the, the welfare of this widow. And Cheyenne actually kind of introduces him to a new bit of knowledge. Cheyenne, or, uh, sorry, harmonica introduces Cheyenne to a bit, new bit of knowledge where Cheyenne's like, well, this, this station in town will make him a bunch of money. Thousands of dollars. Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I love Harmonica. They call it millions. He's like, thousands of millions. thousands. Millions. <laughs> so, like, he had never heard the word One million. millions. <laughs> but, I mean, he puts his men to work. He tells them, like, you know, it's the first thing she's going to see. And Harmonica's kind of realistic. And he even says, like, if she gets back. We do not know. So, around this point, like, things get a little bit disjointed. And that's again. There was the American version, two hundred twenty-five or two hours twenty-five minutes. There was the European cut, two hours forty-five minutes, and then the original movie that was released in Italy was three and a half hours long. That's a slog. That is a slog. <laughs> that's unfortunately that is it. So that's gods and generals like slog. That's that's Lord of the Rings extended edition. Hey, whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! I didn't say it was a slog. I said it's okay. just the same amount of time. Okay. I am once upon the time in the West, the Italian version, and I come to you now at the turn of the die. <laughs> you have my gun. And my gun. <laughs> and my gun. gun. <laughs> I like when uh, Frank is sitting behind the desk in the train car and, you know, Mr. Choo Choo, you know, asks him, he says, like, how does, this, how does it feel sitting there? And he's like, almost as good as holding a gun. Yeah. Uh, because he knows he'll never have it. 
and he's going to enjoy it as much as he can. Because he even said, he's like, you know, you're getting, you're getting kind of sick. You know, you're getting sicker every time I see you. You're going to need someone to take care of you. Be here all the time. And, you know, Mr. Mortar is like, like a partner. He's like, well. <laughs> uh, I He's like how Harmonica of the bones. just taunts Frank the entire movie. Oh. Every time he's like, what is your name? Who are you? And he just keeps on giving names of men that Frank, Frank has, has killed. killed. He's like, he's been dead a long time. And the one scene in the saloon where he names off three names of, of people that Frank has killed. And he's like, well, they've been all there. Well, like, more, more dead, dead, dead men. men. Well, they were alive till they met you, Frank. And he's like, like, you would know. Just just great. And again, when he when Frank walks in and tried to pay off Harmonica with the $5,000 $5, to get the, the sweet water. And, and, and $1. And $1. And he says, you're allowed to make a profit too yeah and then jill says i think it's about time for that bath and yep. that's in direct reference to like the weird seduction rapey scene oh that well, that's to come fond no no that by the time we they're in the saloon that's already oh happened. no that's right that's already happened yeah, because she's so uh, subdued to saying like yeah. you know you're gonna sell that land you're gonna sell it for cheap you're gonna sell it to my men who are gonna be mm -hmm. strong arming all the people in the audience who want to buy your land but won't allow them to bid. Because he has to let Frank go. He doesn't save his life. He just prevents other men from killing Frank. That's great. I love that. She's, she's like, you saved his life. He said, I, I prevented, I didn't let other people kill him. That's not the same. And that's a cool little scene. Like, I he like kicks that. open the door when she's bathing. She's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting to see, again, the, the difference between, and almost this cliche kind of ideal where we have seen in a multitude of films just like star wars just like westerns and the idea that if you're having a bad guy they're dressed in dark colors they exhibit everything that's like you know black the robotic has got on light. like the taupe and the white and like right. the peach undershirt going <laughs> on who dressed him nothing looked red. maybe it was more of a puce <laughs> <laughs> maybe a bright salmon yeah bright salmon <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the idea that like this was the I kind of like the ending era to say, okay, you're going to have heroes that are no longer dressed in all white. You're going to have villains that are not going to look as cliche as the villains are. And it, it's just, again, it's a beautiful thing. And as Harmonica is saving Frank left and right, giving him clues where to shoot when Frank's about to be ambushed by his own men. Who were paid off by Morton. Yep. And, oh, man, it, it is kind of that whole thing. It's all like, this bullet is not for you. Yeah. Like, this bullet is for him. We're going to have our reckoning at some point, but it's it's not yet. Now is not the right time. Yep. Um, and that also, like, the entire movie, you're wondering, what's Harmonica's beef? And they, they just slowly tease it two or three times by, like, the first time they tease it, it's like a, a couple second clip where you just see a man, like, sort of walking through, like, unfocused... Like, yeah, it's, it's a, a camera shot. And then as it gets closer, then it resolves and it's Henry Fonda, but his hair is dyed. So he has no gray and it's, it's and longer and it's longer. And he's, his beard, he's got a little bit of a beard, but that's all brown. There's no gray in that, too, so that he looks younger. And you finally, when they face off, you get that the full, the full you know, resolution reveal. Of it. And I just I so say what you will about the middle of the movie. It's got its issues, but the end like the last 20 minutes half hour is just perfect it's it's beautiful it's great you have the soundtracks 
repeating themselves, which honestly I did not get tired of. The only thing that that reiterates, wow. yes, the only thing that reiterates so much, stop it. <laughs> I really yeah. wish that you know uh, Charles Bronson actually learned to play the harmonic once. Yeah, I mean the sa- the sound again. It's so different from all of the beautiful music and even the natural noise of the film. But if you're already dubbing the sound after the fact and you add another layer onto that... His family, uh, it was reported later on, uh, every time he walked into a room, they would hear... And they're like, oh my gosh! No, 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 I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I might start having a, uh, a harmonica between my butt cheeks so that when I walk into the room with my girlfriend, I can just do like a... (laughs) <laughs> and all all she's gonna say is is looking that's at us it. that's him this is the man i love <laughs> every time that i either hear the name charles bronson or every time that i was like seeing him in this all i can remember is this fantastic scene from the simpsons homer he was like traveling on a bus he was trying to find flanders and they're all like, is this Branson, Missouri? And, and the bus driver's like, no, no, this is Brunson, Missouri. Here we are, Branson, Missouri. No, Pelly, this is Brunson, Missouri. Mm, me. Well, how do we get to Branson? Number 10 bus. Hey, Ma, how about some cookies? No dice. This ain't over. And everyone is Charles Bronson. <laughs> Even the women walking around and the little kid is all like, Hey, Ma, can I have some ice cream? And the lady lady Bronson looks down and is all like, No, no dice. And the little kid, this ain't over. <laughs> That's the... I love all that All the scene. Bronsons in Bronson, Missouri. All the Bronsons in Bronson, Missouri. Hey, Ma. <laughs> I do agree, though, that, that it finishes strong. It does finish strong. It, the For beginning, the full version. The beginning is almost like an interpretive dance where you're like, I don't know what the hell they're doing. But I I like that. Like, there are books where I hate it when I'm reading the book and, like, they keep on repeating plot points that they've repeated 12 times before. I like that sort of sense of accomplishment of, like, working figure, for your food. Figuring this out on my own. Not spoon fed. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so again, like, with the American version, you had the last, like, a, a section of the of the last part of the film was cut out, and that is Cheyenne's death. Because Cheyenne goes back to Mortar on the train, and appa- the American schmaltz. apparently he gets the American shot, way. And then, but he still rides in to, the tra- uh, to uh, Sweetwater, he visits Jill, and even shaves. Like he's acting completely normal. He has a cup of coffee. Yeah, but with Bronson, when when harmonica shoots Frank and it cuts back oh. on the inside, and he's got the cut he's got from the when nick. he was shaving, like hmm. right. So that either like that must have like startled him in order to like cut his face. But then as like he's leaving because he can't stay with Jill. All right, this is the end of an era for harmonica and for Cheyenne because harmonica is a product of, of what Frank did right. to him, and now that. Frank's gone. Like, what the hell? And Cheyenne is an outlaw. Does he have left? Cheyenne um, is like, like a Robin Hood that doesn't necessarily do. No, Cheyenne's like uh, Cheyenne's like Jack Sparrow. He doesn't kill anybody that doesn't deserve it in this movie, right? It's not gratuitous. No, he doesn't, and he and, gets, and he is good. He gets off the horse. He's on solo. He's got the bullet. Oh, he in jams him. the harmonica in his mouth at the end. <laughs> like he doesn't even say who he is. He just and. 
you can see the look on Henry Fonda's face where he's like, oh, shit. Oh, God. It would have been The shot of the <laughs> reveal of Harmonica's brother noosed up hanging from a uh, an arch with the matte painting of uh, the, sunset, uh, the Monument Valley in the background, the sunset. And Harmonica underneath him, and holding him up. Yeah. Until he exhausts himself and falls. And no, he doesn't exhaust. Did, I, I saw it as the brother kicked him out from underneath him so he wouldn't be responsible. So the little brother That's would not see, had yeah. to feel responsible. That's a good point, too. I I, th- I saw him like kick him, he kick his brother out. But, man, yeah. Henry but Fonda, what a hell of an origin story. Oh, right? Like, I'm the little boy that you made hold his brother up. While you had him, you made me from participate in my brother's death. It's almost like the intro to Quicken the Dead with the little girl, you know, with don't, uh, Gene don't Hackman. Sully this. That's not uh, what it reminded don't me don't of. Sully this. That's what it reminded You've me of. You've got mail, Drew. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, the look in your eyes. Oh, it's so tender. Not until the moment of death. <laughs> <laughs> Jug. I can't wait to make you watch me. You've got nail. Oh, no, but it's, it's so beautiful and yet so sad when Cheyenne is going to die, which was cut out Go in away. the American version. Go away. I, I don't want you to I see me like this. I want you to like watch this. me die. I just, I love his explanation of it when, you know, Harmonica's looking at him like, what happened? He's all like, I went to, I went back to visit Mr. Choo Choo. Mr. Choo Guess I scared him. I guess I scared him. Segmons! Segmons. Segmons. What were you thinking? Well, you got me. By all accounts, it doesn't make sense. And you've got to cut it out. And with this segment, we have cut it out. <laughs> so cut it out. We always try to find, you know, a, a part of the movie that we can take out, completely be gone with, and it will not mess with the story. Nathan? As much as I'd like to take out the... Cre- <laughs> oh, God. You can't or take just, out Harmonica. Yeah, yeah, I get <laughs> it. I wouldn't get have it. a name. Uh, I, now with 50% less Harmonica. <laughs> Jesus. As much as, like, I think Fonda does a phenomenal job as a villain, the bone and down scene. Oh. And I know that his wife was watching suspended it. suspended by ropes. Oh. The oh, swinging oh, fuck so bed. Cringy. It was a swinging buck, mate. The it is so cringy. And like, like and, semi-rape scene. And then like, yeah. and it's him, and he's just such a like. You're a real tramp, aren't you? You like, you like, you like the you like feel the, of a man's oh, hands on You'll do anything to save your skin, Take won't you? Take a shower, Jill. I guess I could marry you, but that wouldn't really work out. Yeah, you wouldn't like that. Like, and she even oh. said like, yeah, I would do anything <laughs> to save myself. I would do anything to like prolong my life. And that's why she's. Willing, but unwilling to like have this happen, and man, that was so uncomfortable. I'm watching that going like Henry Fonda. No, I, yeah, I get it that it was needed for the film, and so if I had to, was cuss, it needed? I mean, like it makes it really just vilifies him even more. Out of all the suitors more. in the movie, Henry Fonda's Frank declares the right of prima nocta. <laughs> oh, God. 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 No, 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 it's my ride. I'm in. I'm in <laughs> I meant to no harm. We need them out if of Sweetwater. If we can't drive them out of Sweetwater, we'll breed them out. 
So I, I'm in complete agreement. That was my my number one cut. Send in Cheyenne's then. Is, is, that is cost nothing. The weird <laughs> <laughs> is the weird seduction rapey scene. Yeah, thing. that's a. Oh, man. I'm, I'm gonna, the dusters. I'm going to switch it. I'm skilled in the arts of sweet water. Oh, God. Oh. Oh. If if I were to take Riker's beard, another part out that is not this uncomfortable sex semi-rapey scene, um, it, it would have to be when Cheyenne is coming for the first time in the house and he's all like, you know, do you have coffee? But he asks Jill, he's all like, do you know about a man with a harmonica? You know, keeps playing it. You'd really recognize him. And she stops. And I'm thinking to myself, you were in the bar. You were in the bar and you saw Jill after you, like, confronted but harmonica. But they wouldn't have known because they in, the known American because in the American version that, they cut that it whole out. scene was cut out. So that, I mean, that those lines would not have made sense. But I in agree. the European version, eh, they, it would be a little bit of a head shaker. That's definitely a part where I think, like, some of the script writing could have been fixed. Yeah, technically, I think this movie is amazing as far as the cinematography and especially the score and the acting and delivery. Right. But the script could have used a little bit of work. Yes. Some of the dialogue could have used a little bit of work at times. I do agree with that. Right. What do we uh, What do we have for a balance of best scene? Wait, uh, did, did you... He's, no, he, I agreed with you. Yeah, oh, yeah and no. I agree with you. And the, just a change the, of pace. The swinging rapey rope bed. Yeah, yeah no, that, that needs <laughs> to. Go. I, I agree. So I mean, that's why I wanted like a little bit of like a change of pace right. for that. What do we have for a uh, a counterbalance of that? Best scene. Jack, you go because we already kind of know yours. So go ahead. Yeah, I I love that train scene. Yeah, I do. The when, opening when, scene when Cheyenne oh, is sort Cheyenne. of no, when Cheyenne is capering on top of the train and uh, and harmonica is tied up inside. Like it's it's the most playful part of the movie. I really did enjoy that, and it really made me love Harmonica just like more and you mean more. Frank. I, I sorry, um, Good. no, Frank's gone by that point. Oh, no, sorry, um, Cheyenne. Cheyenne, Cheyenne. Yeah, my 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 mistake there. There's only three. <laughs> yeah, um, and then I also loved the the dialogue between uh, Frank and Harmonica in the saloon, and then mm. Frank and Harmonica when he shows up at the end. Uh, even Cheyenne, the Cheyenne says, to "Jill's like, what is he doing out there?" And he's like, he, he's, "He's whittling, whittling something," and when he's done something's gonna something's happen gonna happen <laughs> like i just love love some of these scenes but for me it's the train scene it's it's a lot of fun the train scene i agree is just it it is a hoot a hoot and a half if i dare say another one of the scenes that involves a train or at least the station is the pan shot that follows her off the train into the station and just rising up over gorgeous to, with to like the crescendo Flagstone. of the score right. going on yeah. it's a beautiful shot and you also get to see literally like the majesty of the full town that one you know as we mentioned was literally more than the cost of fistful of dollars and again for a film that had a budget of five million when half over half of the budget of the actual film went to the salaries of the actors mm -hmm. i couldn't even fathom how much like they actually had to like put into the actual town that's i mean that's crazy and the carriage ride through it seeing all the shops and, oh. and just they everybody got the going the about their their daily lives right. I, I, that, that is great nathan my favorite scene uh is the reveal of the origin story okay. it's just it's so good so yeah, and I love how Frank's uh, Frank's theme is that like dirty guitar riff, mm -hmm. like down, down, down. <laughs> uh, 
and Cheyenne's is the very like it's whistly. Playful. Yeah, it's playful, but it's yeah. still it's still kind of it's still twangy. Yeah, the different versions. I like it. But uh, just like that, you could uh, say that again. No, I want to give an honorable. Oh. I want to give honorable an honorable mention. Honorable mention. <laughs> honorable mention for best scene. I love when he, you know, like five hundred going once, twice, five hundred, five thousand, and then he comes down. He's all like, "Oh, I have the money. It's on its way." And you see Cheyenne coming down the stairs because the bounty for Cheyenne is five grand. Even Judas took four thousand nine hundred and seventy <laughs> less dollars. They didn't have dollars back in those I days. Gotta do my best Son line. of a bitch. But sons of bitches, they did. <laughs> the reward for this man is five thousand dollars, then, right? Judas was content with four thousand nine hundred and seventy dollars less. There were no dollars in them days. But sons of bitches, yeah. All right. Now cut it out. Cut it I mean, no, no, you can say that again. We just did cut it out. We're on top of things. Oh, my goodness. That's the most badass thing I've ever heard. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You can say that again. So you can say that again. Nathan, why do we do you can say that again? Uh, because there's a lot of great lines and um, they need to be said again. And again and again. And oftentimes in uh, inappropriate situations and very appropriate situations and um, just for shits and giggles. And there's also the times you need to uh, have lines that eh, kind of fell flat. That's our yeah. uh, ones that we like to round out the segment with. But um, Drew, what could you say that again? So it's it's kind of a toss up. Um, I really, really love when in the beginning he says, uh, "You brought too, too many horses." You know, implying you brought too, that too many. You brought too, too many, implying that obviously somebody's going to die. But I really love when they're in the bar, and it was again one of the scenes that was cut from the American version when he said, "I saw three dusters like these outside a train station." I saw three of these dusters a short time ago. They were waiting for a train. Inside the dusters, there were three men. So? Inside the men, there were three bullets. I love that. I love that. You cold as ice, harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Cold-blooded. Uh, Nathan. Um, you best. actually, you literally just said it. Um, with the the reward for this man is five thousand dollars. That right? And just the way Cheyenne said, like, no, yeah. kind of just. Like, He's the best part of the movie. Judas it's a, it's was a, content I, with the four thousand nine hundred and seventy. Like it's the just, only genuine laugh that you probably can get from the film, aside from the goofy, you know, train shootout with Cheyenne when he's kind of like, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> you can shoot can you cut <laughs> i love that's that's one of like i really love that scene because it's a it's a true connection of friendship because he's able to like you know give him they the know business they're on the back. same side at this right. point he can uh, give him the business i think for me it's it's sort of the my favorite part of the development of the chemistry be- between cheyenne and jill McBain. and it's it's after the first scene where they meet and uh, she makes him coffee for the first time and he goes to leave, and he opens the door, and he looks back at her, and he just says, You know, Jill, you remind me of my mother. You know, Jill, you remind me of my mother. 
She was the biggest whore in Alameda and the finest woman that ever lived. Whoever my father was for an hour or for a month, he must have been a happy man. That is now, a great line. Said by any other actor, I think, this would have come off as weird as weird or bad, but when Cheyenne says it, Jason Robard says it, like you're just like, oh, Thank oh, you. I love this guy. Right. And she even she doesn't react in a bad way. She's like, hmm. That was a compliment. She, she was all like, oh, I'm <laughs> re- sweet. I remind him of his mother. And then he leaves, and you know, there can be that second moment like, Wait a minute. Did he say she was a whore? <laughs> the, the, and the, the biggest whore? <laughs> but the kindest lady. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah, that's, so that's It's a compliment sandwich. That's my absolute favorite. Now, there's not a whole lot of lines in this film. Because there's only 15 pages of dialogue. But there is definitely some stuff that we could cut out. Yeah. For, for like, worst line? For, for uh, you could say that again, line? So, <sighs> yeah. I'm trying to think, like, worst. I've got one. Okay, what, what do you got? Because I'm trying to think of one that was, like... Meh. It's it's just a line that is a little bit over the top for me, and it's it's Morton, but it's Frank's response. And Drew, you already mentioned it at one point, but was it necessary to kill them all? I only mm. told you to scare them. People scare better when they're dying. That I was like, yeah, all right, that's it's a little too tropey, but I oh, guess it I've works. got one that oozes and just drips with trope. Oh, right? drip it out, drip it. <laughs> Time sure flies. It's already past 12. <laughs> you have got... I almost just want to drop my microphone right now and He's just walk out. He's trying to signal I, him the guy he, above. He could just say, hey, you're 12. Anything, oh, could, but Nathan, it's once upon a time <laughs> in the West. <laughs> Didn't you notice all the half-painted clocks around uh, town? Bum, bum, bum. It's also, I mean, time is a, you know, uh, a key fixture in this film thematically because the time, their time is up. It's a new time. It's a new age. Progress you know. is rolling. That right. train is going to come. I would it's say coming down the line. my, my, you know, worst line is definitely going to be next to the cut it out scene. And it's, it's really situational depending on what version that you're watching because it's not going to make much sense, especially when he does the whole, like, do you know a man who plays a harmonica? And it's going to matter only depending on, like, what version you see. So, I mean, to me, that was more like the only, like, upsetting thing to, <laughs> I don't know, to kind of, like, think, man, uh, you were there with, with her. Like, why would you not know this? Unless it's going to be the barkeep who says a lot of, like, I don't think I can make it in a big city. No. I, I, I like the, the quiet of a small town. And you're like, country living. Man, this is foreboding because, like, shit's going to go down. Speaking of, like, the whole, you know, it's it's just past noon. I I feared for that stuntman who oh fell. Oh, my gosh. That, that was a great oh, stunt. I was I like, I don't he, think no, that's he a, was dead. That is, oh, that is not OSHA compliant I right there. he died. <laughs> he straight up died. Okay, because he it's, had not, to it's not only, like, falling and going through the roof. Cool. That's totally planned. Him falling... Split in half oh. and falling on the top half with his head, and I'm like, I watched it twice, and I was like, he's never walking again, yeah, or he's dead, or he is dead. We hear Mo. Was that actually the actor from the first scene, and they just blamed his death on what happened there? Drew, what would you rate this movie? If I were to rate this movie, I would give it. You know, the fact that I 
should have brought five horses, but I only brought four. Hmm. I like it. Nathan. Now I'm going to write this uh, twofold because I think the first watch, if you rate it, if you just watched it one time and never picked it up again, this rating would be a a four out of ten. All right. It is it is rough. There are times when you are losing interest because you're just kind of like, wait a minute. I must have missed something. Because I don't know anybody's name. People are dying. People are getting on and off trains. People are there are inherit they're rifling through personal belongings that aren't theirs to like look for something that we don't know about and and did they find it oh it's a station wait what i don't get this so yes the first watch four out of ten the second watch because even sir leon deserves to profit i bump it up to a seven out of ten Ooh. okay i think that's i think that's a bit uh, better of a of a rating for it, it I is mean- it, required almost to have a second watch. I, I agree. And, and there's no way, because yeah. this is the third time that I had seen it, there's no way that I would give it like a full 100%. <laughs> I don't know if I could do three. I mean, well, I mean, because I, I hadn't watched this movie in like 20 years. This is my first time watching this movie. So, uh, I mean. I watched it four times in the past Oh month. my gosh. God, that is, that's like 12 hours you'll never. <laughs> <laughs> but every time I watched it, I loved it a little bit more. No, and I agree. You do love it a little bit more. But the only reason why I'm not, I'm not going to give it like a full five out of five is the fact that, one, it is a bit slow. All right. And mm-hmm. it, it gets, you know, a bit quicker each time you do watch it. It's got some wonky pacing issues the in the pacing center. Issues, was the like... transitions uh, from scene to scene where, again, you do need to catch yourself. And make sure that you're paying attention. And you also almost need to either disconnect yourself from what's going on in the background to focus on the characters in the forefront. Because even, you know, watching everything that's going on, it's important. It's important to understand, like, the life and what's happening in Flagstone. Just like what's happening in, you know, other parts of, like, the train. The men riding up to the train with Mr. Mortar and, you know, Frank and stuff. Um, It's... I, I feel that's important. You know what scene that didn't make sense to me? Why did Mortar have to go out to the middle of the desert in the abandoned, like, Indian village to find Frank? Yeah, I mean, that's just another that's one a of the weird, weird scenes. He could have kicked, he could have kicked the, uh, the crutches that out That probably could have been easily cut out. Right. That could have been cut out. Uh, yeah, I, that's a good scene I think for out. me, um, so I, I had a lot of choices for Spaghetti Western. You did. Uh, and and you I watched a lot of <laughs> garbage spaghetti westerns like there was one it was uh the great silence where the the main character had a, lot a of hammer helper had, yeah he had an automatic <laughs> handgun like the c96 like you know trench sweeper and it just there was a lot of garbage spaghetti western movies that i watched i had to narrow it down my i think my my original pick had there not been the once upon a time was for a few dollars more but I just, I really like this movie. I like what he's trying to do. Like I said before, it's a love letter. So my opinion of this movie is as high as uh, the mortality rate of Frank's friends. I give it five and a half rounds out of six chambered bullets. Ooh, well done. Yeah. All right. I like it. Okie dokie. So next episode in two weeks time, we will have Nathan's pick. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be... An action film. Action. <laughs> so this will be Can't our wait. first, uh, you know, generic genre. We've had one subgenre. 
Mm-hmm. And then uh, we're going to see what's happened. Mm, play a little Blue's Clues. I think people might get this Blue's Clues kind of easily. Yeah, this one's... But it'll still be fun. Original or the remake? Uh, the remake. Okay. Oh, of course the remake. Uh, That's already a clue. Oh, Treasure Planet! <laughs> oh! The remake in Treasure Planet! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, two weeks time, we're going to have an action film. It's we'll called Limitless. some Blue's Clues for you. And yeah... So, guys, obviously, get out there, spread the word, you know, take a train over to Sweetwater and tell people all about the Real Feels podcast. Maybe uh, leave a review up on uh, Apple iTunes. There's actually one of the movies that we're going to be doing later on. Uh, I will give a a very uh, obscure uh, Easter egg. Let Just kind of, I'll put it out. <laughs> there is a movie title that we are going to watch later on in the very, very beginning of this film. And I, I challenge you all to figure it out. Again, the first bit before the train arrives, you actually will see it. I'm oh, with okay. you. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. I got you. Okay. I'm with right. you. I know what it is. Okay. <laughs> what? Now you guys have to go on and watch Once Upon a Time Mexico. And you maybe you'll, no, uh, do it. Like, do it for yourself. Everybody, I think, should watch this movie bad, at some point. Again, yeah, watch it a, once. It's not least. a bad film in twice. any way, shape, twice or if you twice. really want to. But <laughs> enjoy it if you have the time. <laughs> maybe put the subtitles on. Turn your phone off. I always put subtitles on. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, rent guys. a movie theater. No, you can find us over on Facebook. Just search for the Real Feels Podcast over on Twitter at Real Feels Pod. You can always send us an email at realfeelspodcast at gmail.com and hey we're still trying to fill in those slots that are uh, nice and vacant uh, lots of slots in Las Vegas <laughs> so go on over to Patreon guys <laughs> patreon.com Podcast. maybe join us up on Patreon choose a movie or a genre for us to cover yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. alright so until next time you're the realist and the feelist did you make any coffee? I did this time. <laughs>